don't know if it's even worth recording with yeah. my voice like this. You sound great. <laughs> Why, thank you. Um, Fifteen years later, I'm out somewhere. Red Hot Chili Peppers comes on, and all I do is smell. Ch- all I do is smell and taste chocolate with songs. All of a sudden, there was a trigger, and all of a sudden, a deep memory bu- bubbled up to the surface. And as you bring attention here, um, you know, there's a famous uh, verse. It's, it's really, it's really beautiful. Where's the source for being present? For being present, and why, why presence is so important, and the power of this being present, whether it be with yourself or someone else. Is in the Torah when Avraham had a bris, gave himself a bris, <coughs> and God showed up to him. Every other time in the whole of the Torah, God shows up and gives a commandment or says, do something, do something, go here, go there, do this, do that. This time when, when Avraham was sick, meaning he was, he was recovering, it says, and Hashem appeared. It doesn't say anything else. I just want to be with you. You're, it was like, and that's the, where we draw the mitzvah of visiting the sick from in the Torah, right? I have a source sheet if you want it. But um, that's, the, that's the mitzvah where we draw visiting Bikrachol and visiting the sick. Is it some, just your presence with someone who's sick alleviates the burden? Once It says 160th. But that's just enough to make them feel significantly different. <coughs> and I found when I was sick or had gone through things, someone came to visit me, I le- when they left I felt lighter, I felt different, even if they didn't do anything. But they carry, when, they, when someone carries your pain with you just by being present and, sh- and sharing in how you're feeling and just being present with you, not doing fixing, it, that in itself shifts it. There's a very deep principle to apply to us, especially with meditation. Because meditation is really about <coughs> bringing presence to myself and who I am. The first step is awareness. One of the headings of this class was going to be become uh, what is it? Feel your soul, or I don't know what it was. If you saw the flyer, none of you even care. Okay, fine. Um, <laughs> like blank stares. Um, let's feel like become. How do I become aware of my soul? <coughs> and the first step of awareness of, of of feeling your soul is that there is awareness, isness, just being aware, bringing awareness and presence to yourself. It's the first step of being able to feel your soul. The first step is just being accepting, accepting with whatever it is, because then the soul is what's called a still small voice in the Torah. Isn't that a nice, nice phrase? A still small voice. Your soul will whisper like you were saying exactly what you're saying. That's the, that's the soul's voice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I think this is yeah. I think this is important, mm. right? Literally that, and the rest of you is like, no, 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 like really loud, and I don't want to do that. No, 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 and the voice, and the soul's like, um, excuse me, I, I, it's, yes, I think it's important. Yes, let's do that, right? And it's in a whisper. So if you're if you're not if you're not able to calm yourself down and be slower, which is Lisa was saying she was wanting that to be slower, like be able to cut. Why? Because we can access more of who we are when we're slower. When we're rushing around, busy, 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 driven, driven. We can't access who we are. We can't access the fullness of who we are. We can't access the soul's voice. We can't reflect. There's a famous midrash that says that when <coughs> Paro realized Moshe's asking us all to, to leave into the desert, he freaked out. He realized, oh my gosh, we could really revolt and, and like have, there could be a problem on his hands. So what does he say? The midrash says that he says, okay, now make, make them instead of just collecting bricks, they've got to make all the bricks from scratch with straw. So... Let's keep them busy from morning to night because if they're busy and they don't stop to reflect, there's no awareness, there's no insight, there's, no, there's going to be no problems. 
They're going to be too busy. They won't even have time to think about anything. So busyness, even though that's the mode of New York, is really bad. And you see that. We were just talking about that before. Like, it's so not healthy. (coughs) And what happens here is the more you bring awareness to, like, just being conscious with whatever is and without trying to change it or fix it or do it right or put pressure on it, which is a whole skill in itself. Just to say, I'm just going to sit with whatever is and whatever happens is fine. Just bringing that sense of awareness is so hard. But that's the muscle we want to flex to practice as a first step. Just let me be aware of and with whatever is going on for me. Right? And we're so not taught that it's not okay. You've got to be like this. You've got to be like that. You've got to change this. You've got to fix that. You've got to... There's always a pressure to get somewhere else. Always. Especially in New York. When we're conscious and we're present with whatever is, what happens is these start bubbling up to the surface. And all of a sudden, the line of consciousness drops. So you become more aware of yourself. And as things start kind of shifting, you become more aware. And so your area that is conscious becomes much bigger. And you can actually drop that bar right down so that you really include, integrate a lot of your subconscious stuff that's stored there. Most people spend a lot of time keeping stuff stuck there, like pushing it down. I don't want to feel, I don't want to, I'm just going to be really, really busy and then I won't even feel anything. And then I'm going to keep really, really busy. And then sometimes if I, if I, I release the pressure or I'm tired or I, I can't handle it anymore, sometimes something will pop up into the conscious. I feel feelings that I want to feel. I feel I have memories that I want to remember. I deal with dynamics that I want to deal with. And then all of a sudden I do employ all my escape mechanisms to push it back down. All right, whatever that is for you. Everyone has their own thing. It could be gym, gymaholics. It could be food addicts. It could be workaholics. It could be TV junkies, Netflix binge. I think we call it now. There's even a term. Anyway, you need a binge show? Oh, I've got a binge show, right? It's like a normal thing. Just sit there like a zombie. And, and, and Netflix does it for you. You're on the couch and it finishes and then it goes like, next three, two, one, blah. Next three, two. And you can sit there for, I've done it myself. Three episodes, four episodes in a row. And I'm like, what the heck am I doing? You know what I'm talking about. So, so it's not good. We all know that. so bringing sense of awareness and consciousness awareness is half of the battle awareness and consciousness (coughs) Um, I'm sorry so the consciousness becomes with subconsciousness your, your, your conscious level whatever you're aware of drops so that you become more aware of what was in the subconscious, especially as things rise to the surface and you're not scared of it. If you actually turn to into, in yourself internally, if you say, okay, I'm a big person now, usually why we push things away is because we're scared we're not going to be able to handle it. Like, I don't want to feel those feelings, I'm not going to be able to handle it. So that's a very young assumption from when you were a kid and you probably couldn't have handled the feelings that came up then. Usually it's from stuff that happened when we were younger and we probably didn't know how to deal with it, so we just shoved it aside. But now we're all big people. No feeling is going to kill you. No feeling is going to... You're not dependent on parents like you were when you are little. So we just got into a habit of running away from those feelings or experiences rather than bring a sense of, okay, let me be curious. What are, what's feel, They're just feelings. They don't mean anything. They don't mean X, Y, Z. It doesn't mean like you're a bad person, a good person. Now you have to do this. Now you have to do... It doesn't mean anything. They're just experiences. They're just feelings. Energy, emotion, emotion. Energy and motion, they're just energy and they need to come up and out. So if you turn towards yourself internally and say, okay, 
I'm just curious. Like, what do I feel? What do I sense? Let me just watch. Let me just observe without judgment. Let me just be curious. Let me just bring a sense of presence to myself. It is absolutely astounding what happens in the healing process for yourself and also in your spiritual process for what you can then quieten down to become aware of spiritually, including your relationship with God. I said on Wednesday night, some people are so full of themselves that there's no room for anyone else. There's no way they can have really a spiritual connection, let alone a connection with other people even, right? Because if I'm so full of myself all the time and so busy distracting myself, I'm not really present for anyone else, so I can't really feel the connection, which leaves me more lonely, which means I have to escape more. And you see the cycle continues, right? Yeah. Um, I'm in grad school, and in um, our personality class, we had to listen to this lecture about, I mean, I forgot the psychologist's name, but her whole thing was about, like, us repressing all of these memories and and feelings because we don't want to feel them because we're afraid of them. And she said something that really resonated with me, which was that we can't selectively numb. So, like, when we start numbing those scary feelings, we we also get to a point eventually where we also can't feel any joy, any happiness because... You're, you end up numbing all of your emotions. You can't just selectively numb the ones you're afraid of. We're a vessel. So if you, shut, if you block off the vessel, you don't feel anything. Right? You can't selectively. You just numb out, which means you numb from joy and you numb from pain. But it is 100% right. And uh, <coughs> the first step is being willing to feel. Knowing that feelings can't kill you and feelings aren't bad. They're just emotions. In fact, if you don't express them, we're knowing more and more now that it can lead to different sicknesses and ailments. And you know, something I read, something crazy like 70% of all stomach disorders presented to a general practitioner, doctor, are all psychologically related or stress related, meaning they did all the tests and there's nothing physically wrong. Something like 70% of stomach issues. Sarno, if you read the Sarno books, all of the back pain stuff, found that tons and tons of back pain stuff is related to also. Now, it doesn't mean it's only in your mind. That means it's caused from stuff, possibly in the subconscious, that's now expressing through the body. There's real physical problems and pain, but it's connected, which is totally a Torah approach. Torah says we're one whole being, mind, body, soul. Like, we're not separate. You can't fragment us into different, different perspectives. So it's not about shoving out conventional medicine, God forbid. We need conventional medicine. But there's a whole other piece there that we're coming to when, I, when you work with both of those that's my personal opinion I, I work with both alternative therapies and conventional medicine and you integrate both together then you're dealing with a more full picture of who we are and not just any humi gumi you have to know who, who to go to <coughs> okay so um, one of the things I did once I think I told some of you before was that I did a thing called Vipassana which was a 10-day silent meditation retreat, right? I said it was the hardest thing I ever did. 10 days of silence, me being silent. Can you imagine? <laughs> it was one of the hardest things I ever did. But what it was really, really good for was um, it was 10 hours a day of meditation every day for 10 days. And so we you wouldn't talk? No talking. For 10 hours a day? For 10 yeah. days straight. Oh, I you did wow. 10 days. I heard people go insane after like one No, day, day three you think you're going mad? Mm-hmm. And you think you're going mad because... At that point, there are violent things coming up. Like when I say violent, the, the speed at which everything's... Like it's a subconscious vomit. Because <laughs> you're just sitting present with yourself the whole time. Could you make sounds? Like, could you communicate with other people? <coughs> How do you... You can't grunt or make... Why would I grunt? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know, you go past somebody, you can't go like... Mm, or something? <laughs> no eye contact, no writing, no music. 
No, no external stimulation. Oh my God. No talking. There were people, staff members there. If you had a real problem, you could speak to a staff, but only it was like most people don't. Wow. Every night we had the teacher gave us the new focus for the next day on a video. That was it. Went to bed at like 8, 8 p.m. and woke up at 4 a.m. We had the biggest, like, the biggest meal of the day was lunchtime. <coughs> but aside from all of that, it was all beautiful vegetarian lunch. So it was like a cleanse in itself. And um, all this stuff was coming up so rapidly that um, at day three I thought I was going mad because I was having such extremely vivid images in my head. And I did go up to the lady and I said, I think I'm going mad. I, th- I think I'm going crazy. She's seen this a million times before. She goes, crazy people don't think they're going crazy. And I went, oh, good point. Okay. And I was like, I was totally fine. I was like, because she's right, crazy people don't have the awareness. People, if they're really going into psychosis, don't have the awareness. They really think it's real. I was like, that's so true. Like, there was enough of an answer. And after day five, you're in, he- whoa, like you're in such a deep, still, calm place. And that's where you can have transcendental experiences yourself where you feel there's a lack of a boundary between you and the world and things happen. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't recommend living in that state. It's not meant to be lived in, but it's a, it way, it's a way of accessing a depth. What happened to you? <coughs> No, I'm just curious, like, how did you feel out? I didn't want to talk after day 10. You didn't? I mean, we do, but you you don't want to leave the space of complete and utter freedom internally. What's free, (coughs) which is why I'm bringing it in, it was non-denominational, it had nothing to do with any religion. Uh All we did was watch our sensations going around. We scanned our body and we just watched the sensations. So whatever sensations you had, pleasure or pain, you didn't react to it. You do. You could witness it with a loving witness, just acceptance and watching it, observing awareness, presence. That ability to not be governed by your feelings or governed by a stimulus. I need. I need pleasure. I want to avoid pain. I need pleasure. That's we're we're driven by that the whole day, right? We call that in Judaism being driven by your desires and your yetzahara. I just want what's good for me. When you don't have to react or respond to that, it is liberating. Liberating. And what, what is the ability to just, whenever you do something, there's always a part of you that's like, you shouldn't have done that. Do you, mm-hmm. do you have that voice? Mm-hmm. You probably shouldn't have done that. So which part's saying that? It's not the part that did it. Which part's saying it? Shouldn't have done that. What, what, where is this voice? Like, what, what the heck? Like a little commentary of your life all the time? What is it? What is it? Your subconscious. What's wrong? Hmm? Teacher. She forgets. What is it? It's your soul. That's your still small voice. That's your soul. And what's your soul doing? Just watching. It's just watching. I'm sure you should have done that. Right? It's just it's just observing. Just what? Just presence, awareness, just watching you, in a loving way. It's you. It's part of you. But like, there's another part running you and driving you, and you're following that voice. And the soul's there trying to say, I'm "Not sure you should have done that, right?" And you can choose to ignore it. Oh, I'm going to ignore it. And the soul keeps coming back. Like, really, I think you should correct that, or maybe you should really, right? You could choose to ignore it. At some point, if it's big enough, it keeps like tapping you on the shoulder really loud. If you keep ignoring it even more, then it's like fuck. And there's certain points where Hashem will create a situation where you literally cannot ignore it anymore. If it's too, if you're going off too far. But <coughs> you always get a choice. 
it's really always a choice so um what I thought we'd do is there's a little yes do you think your soul's inside you or above you oh I can't believe you just asked me that question I can't believe it the options are the best (laughs) it is unbelievable I had a class on this exact question this morning by Rav Leuchter who's a phenomenal phenomenal Rav from Israel and it was such an amazing class and I said this is going to be some of the content for tonight and I totally forgot about it and that's exactly the question like literally exactly the topic of the class yeah no because like what you were talking about how like it's crazy comes and speaks to you it almost sounds like your soul is like watching you it is can can it be watching from above or inside I don't know the way I just pictured it, just from like what we just talked about, I felt like it was above you or like up so what, what does everyone else think? It's a great question. Is your soul above you or inside you? I say in. Just because of like different things that I've been taught, like washing in the morning because the neshama leaves your body and like it comes back in. Oh, interesting source. Good. That means it can go out and come back in. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> What do you all think? I'm looking at you. <laughs> <coughs> What's your gut? Um, I say inside you. You say inside? Yeah. I can't think. I like what you said before about how it can come in and out of you. I think because maybe it's with you when you're going through things, but if you need a voice, it can like come out and be like, listen, Maya, like listen, whoever, you know, like. Maybe that little voice that's telling you what you should or shouldn't do, like that's when it's like speaking to you. Okay, good. Any other opinions? I feel like that's God though, telling like your soul is inside of you, you're in a shaman. Because they say <coughs> there are like three parts of your soul, like the exterior part and then the internal part. Or it's five levels of soul. Five. Okay, so then um, I feel like your soul can only say so much and then God shows by his actions. So he'll hide certain things and then when he wants you to notice it he'll come and appear so I feel like your soul and God can work both simultaneously together but maybe I'm wrong they aren't cahoots it's true yeah. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> I may be totally wrong. so the answer you're all right the answer is both your soul can be inside of you and it can be outside of you so what question the million dollar question is when is it inside and when is it outside what makes it come inside and what makes it go outside Ta da! <laughs> I wouldn't you want to work, walk through this, this world with your soul inside of you, right? The soul that the soul should rest inside of you. You should be living with your soul in internally. So the biggest question is what 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 makes it go out? Have you ever, have you heard about this before? I think so. Isn't it cool? Yeah. <clears throat> what makes your soul? What would if you could imagine your soul is a refined, elevated connected to God, like they're like this, right? Pure. There's a shama level of the soul we're talking. The soul has five levels. Nefesh, which is in, inside the body. Ruach, which is more the heart. Nefesh, neshama is more, sits on the seat, on the mind. But that's the part that we're talking about now. And the other two are outside of us, which are much higher, loftier realms, high and yechida. But what, <coughs> what would make the neshama fly out? I think when your neshama wants to tell you something, that's when it comes out. Okay. When you're giving into temptation. Ah, Say more. Like, Why? I, I'm, I'm like totally um, personifying my neshama right now, but for the sake of this conversation, like, 
like if I make if I'm giving into my temptation, my shaman's like, okay, if you're gonna do this, like I'm not gonna be a part of this. Exactly. <laughs> Amazing. And why wouldn't your shaman want to be part of it? Um, I guess because it's like a holier part of yourself. It doesn't want to be tarnished. Right. It's it's it, they the polar opposites. But why is giving into t- temptation such a bad thing? Because it's driven by the body, not by the soul. So the goal is when I. <clears throat> when the the purpose of a Jew and the purpose of what we're doing here, what we're doing being here, <coughs> is to always connect in whatever I'm doing with Hashem's presence in that moment. Right? Hashem is in the moment of whatever I'm doing. It's not like I do stuff and then I have a connection with God somewhere else and like, oh, that's nice. I had my spiritual experience. I think I said that before. My Jewish time was Wednesday night, and the rest of my week I'm doing my other stuff. No, that's, that, that's, there's a disconnect here. It's not, it's not correct. The purpose of a Jew is to integrate the two together. I think I shared the idea, also the story when I was with that big, big monk or lama mm-hmm. in a car and he ran over an animal and he said, in comes out li- life, out goes life. And he was so robotic. What? He killed an animal in a car. Yeah. I was with this big lama monk guy, uh, <laughs> you know, like a Dalai Lama type. Uh-huh. Not a real llama animal. Of course, okay. you're not like... <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> me and my llama. llama. <laughs> me and my llama. And, uh, and yeah, I, I, and then um, we killed an animal and he was so equanimous, which is a very a Buddhist quality that they were practicing, which is about separating away from the physical world. Mm-hmm. And they go up to have the spiritual experiences by separating away from the physical world. And I was practicing a lot of, you know, these different techniques. I was exploring my own spirituality at that time. And he just watched a, a, someone, a, an animal die. And he was equanimous. Equanimity is like steady, stable, e- equal. In comes life, out goes life. I would cry. And I was <laughs> like, no, no. Like, like I, I felt, and I felt something about that response didn't feel right to me. And it was that moment. I had no idea why. And it was only years later I could put words to it. That as a Jew, I'm wired for something different. I'm wired to do exactly the reverse. Our job is to engage the physical world and elevate it. Engage it and connect it to a godly spark. Enjoy it, but have it connected to something more internal and more substantive and more meaningful, more elevated. And when I separate the physical world from my spiritual world and my soul, there's something that's not right about that. And the shaman's like, I'm out of here. I'll wait for you when you come back. Go and have your fun, right? And it might feel fun to us. And like the whole goal of life is to eventually have moments where the neshama is inside. Not not it's not on a very high level to live like that all the time, but we have moments where we see the panemius. Panemius means internal, the deeper internality of a situation of something. Panemius comes from panim, which means face. A face shows what's on the inside of a person. A person you can't tell if I if we hold held out our arms and someone came looking at our arms. No one would know who's who. You only know who you are internally through your face, right? Oh, that's Jackie, right? That's what I look like. That's what I feel like. That's Your face reflects what's inside. <coughs> Eyes are the window to the soul, right? The panemius, we're here for panemius, what's inside. So I have a, a friend who is always there for me every time I need. They bring stuff. They change my light bulbs. They mm. whatever. They buy me things if I'm sick, like whatever. And even though each one of those things is like, thanks so much, that was really nice thinking about you. Yeah, great. It was deeper than that. There was, there was an idea of there's a, there's a reliability. I can trust you. You're really there for me. I can't express that. It's not an external thing. <coughs> it's a very deep... All these actions 
created a sense of something much deeper. And I wasn't relating to it on a superficial way. I was relating to it that, wow, this means that I can really trust you. You're trustworthy. You're reliable. Ne'emanus, they call it in Hebrew, right? You're reliable. Reliability is one of the qualities of God. God's reliable. We, we expect the sun to rise and set. If it didn't, we'd have a freak out. <coughs> right? God is reliable. Things rise and fall and the rain comes down and it washes away and the sun comes up. Like, Certain things we just we just trust are inherent in our system because God's reliable, unwavering. So we're always looking for the panemius. What's the deeper meaning in things? That's why Jews are driven to that. You go into any uh, <coughs> Buddhist temple, half of them are Jews. They're drawn to the spirit. It's true. They're drawn to the spirituality. They're drawn to the panemius. They're drawn. What makes me tick? What What are we all about? Why are we here? The bigger questions. They're drawn to that internality. The soul's voice of what's deeper inside. <clears throat> and the more you get tuned into that and see the world through that lens, that it's, it's about finding that in every moment as much as you can. The more you can't stand the shtus, we call it, right? The shtus, the silliness, the nonsense, the just garbage that's out there, you know, on, on whatever it is, what people are putting on social media, like the level of shallowness. <laughs> and it's interesting because this ties beautifully into Hanukkah. Thanks to Shem. Shem's giving me amazing connections. Okay. Uh, Hanukkah was all about the Greeks versus the Jews, right? It was a battle. It wasn't a battle physically. It was a battle spiritually. The whole the whole story of Hanukkah <coughs> is that it was a bar- it was a battle spiritually. They were trying to get, up, get uproot our Judaism. How were they trying to uproot our Judaism? Does anyone know? Anyone know how the Greeks were trying to uproot Algiers? Oh, see, look, look at that. She's so tuned in. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Don't stop. Continue. You guys so good. I mean, I have, I think I'm going to have to ask for Or, um, you know, Curtis, thank you so much. She's so sweet. So, so, so tuned in. The second I went to get it, she already was getting it. See, look at that, Panemius. <laughs> <laughs> She's a deeper sense of empathy. Does anyone know how. Yeah. By assimilating us to being their culture? Yes, it was all about assimilating us. and, But what was it specifically? They wanted to uproot in us. Like what, were, what were the values of that culture? Physical beauty. Hmm? Physical beauty. Mm-hmm. Physical beauty. Physical beauty was the essence, appreciating the aesthetics of life. Oh my gosh, that's so beautiful, like, which is our culture now. Our culture now has that. So much chitzonious externality that we focus on. And here we say, oh, you're beautiful inside out. We're just lying. We're totally lying. Oh, she's so beautiful inside and out. And like everything's gorgeous about the girl. Like, come on. We're so drawn to the physicality, right? It's very, very strong in this culture. And the Greeks were about that. What's the word for the Greeks? Yavan. Yavan. Is this from my other class the other night? I asked, yeah, I knew you do. I'm just, I'm just checking. You're not cheating. Okay. Yavan is spelled Yud, Vav, Nun. Doesn't that look two dimensional to you? How two dimensional is Yavan? Totally two dimensional. We're just superficial. We just like to see the beauty on the surface. We like the aesthetics, right? You put. It, we said before. You put a the letter that is is reflects depth reflects righteousness in front of that 
Tzadik. Tzadik is literally the word for Tzadik, righteous person. Zion. Zion. Which is Israel. So it's not that we shouldn't appreciate the beauty. It's not that we shouldn't appreciate the world we're in. Because we're, we're, we're not about separation, right? We're about bringing the spark of God, the soul's, the soul's voice, the panemius, to the world and elevating it. When you put Zion in front, the righteousness in front of the beauty, then you have the complete picture, that holistic approach of everything together. Everything is connected. Everything is Echad, one. And that is the, that is the role of a Jew. So we get, we get deluded into thinking that we're part of this culture and that like I can just separate myself, be, you know, pretend I get the, the whatever, you know, like I, I can buy these stockings and look like Cameron Diaz and I can, you know, get this lipstick and I'm like Angelina Charlie and, and I'm, we just get, whatever, I don't even know if that's relevant anymore. But like, um, I, I get seduced into it rather than let me just separate away and just focus on like the panemius, what's inside. And if I can't go inside me, then I can't go inside anything. So that is really the value of meditation. If I had to like frame it in a Jewish way now, the value of meditation is that I can shut my eyes, block out the world, and go inside myself. And I'm not scared of anything that I find or that I see, that I experience. It's all here. It's okay. I'm a bigger person now. I'm not, nothing's going to kill me. I can just be present with myself. And through doing that, I have a chance at being present with the world, with what I'm doing, with connecting to something deeper, with allowing healing to take place, with all sorts of benefits. I mean, it's just crazy. But we spend our whole life running away from it. We don't want to sit with ourselves. I'm terrified of what I might find. The biggest fear of people going to Sem and to learn in Israel for a period of time is they know they have to confront themselves on some level. Subconscious sometimes, not even conscious. But they know that when they go there, Israel itself is panemius. The whole of Israel is your soul. It's a soul's, soul's land there. So whatever is inside you comes up because Israel helps it to come up. Because your internal sense of self, your soul, is validated. Here, you walk around, you're like, yeah, okay, there's a lot of Jews here, but like, I can integrate into both cultures. There, it's like everyone's Jewish. It just validates your Jewishness. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm a majority. It's so weird, right? It's weird. So like, it validates that inner, inner penemius of you. And when you validate it, it gives it permission to shine. And then you learn to relate to yourself in a different way. I learned to relate to myself from my own panemius. And then others watch. They just, they just draw to you because they want that. Every person wants that. Every person wants to be related to from the inside. Right? As soon as a woman's objectified, I feel, you feel like a piece of dirt. Why? Because I've been, I've been yavand. I've been seen as two-dimensional. But I'm a whole person. Now we can go into a whole modesty sheer. Right? That's what the essence of sneers really is. Not about just covering up. It's about treating myself as a whole person. I don't want to put myself on a plate and let myself look like an object or a piece of meat. That's two-dimensional. I'm much more than that. Let me dress in a way that it doesn't draw attention to that physicality only. So that I, then I draw my self-worth from putting myself out there. Look at my stomach, look at my this. But, but I'm doing it to myself then. And women do this all the time. They think that's what's going to get them love and acceptance and popularity and fame and success. And so I'm going to put myself out there because the more gorgeous I am, the more attention I get. But I get it from being two-dimensional. No one appreciates me and deep down I feel worthless because of that. I'm yearning for intimacy so I'll go out and hook up with guys. Not me, but I'm saying that's the culture. And when I, when I do that, I feel terrible. Just had to clarify. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> Don't <laughs> do not repeat this anyway. <laughs> um, but um, I feel worthless because I'm, I was never valued to begin with, right? Okay. So with that, let's um, let's do a, let's let's do some meditation. Let me just see if there's anything from. Uh, <coughs> <coughs> I'll just finish on the idea that with Kislev and Hanukkah coming, the miracle of Hanukkah, which I talked about Wednesday night, was not that they found the oil and the oil burnt for eight days. The miracle of Hanukkah was the fact that they even searched for the oil to begin with. They even be- that they even began to see- see- seek the oil. It was a, a pretty devastating time at the time. And they were in like the darkest, darkest moment you know, of, that, of their generation in that moment. And they still had hope. And they still thought maybe there's oil, and that the seeking of the oil and going to seek, going to seek for the oil, search for the oil, was a sense of trust, a sense of hope, even in the darkest moment. And that that trust itself, when I am open and I am hopeful, even though it might seem completely bleak in front of me, that hope and that trust creates the vessel for me to draw down a miracle. And we see it by the sea when the sea, the Jews were by the sea. Before the sea split, which was miraculous, Nachshon had to jump in first. So it looked like suicide. Nachshon had to jump in. People would say, what the heck are you doing? You're crazy. You're crazy. Don't go to Israel. What are you doing? You have a job. Oh my God. Like, right? It's so irrational. So crazy. Right? You've, this is like all the time. You have to jump in. <clears throat> he jumped in. The sea split. It was because of the trust that Nachshon had. And he jumped into the sea. It created the vessel for that level of miracles that come down. That's how Jews operate. That's how we roll. We don't roll in the two-dimensional physical realm only. We take it into account. It's important to have a career. It's important to have a job. It's important to be responsible. But we don't stop there. We include another realm. And if you're a Jew and you're, t- you're plugged into that, so then that's how you work with the world and with God. But if you're not, even if you're a Jew, non-Jew, doesn't matter, and you work on the two-dimensional plane, then you're limited in a way and you're subject to that world being the definer for you. Meaning God will let you then be, be kind of um, governed by the, the laws of nature, so to speak. But if you step out of that and you say, no, I know you're running the world. I trust you. I trust that you have a bigger plan. I don't know what it is. And I know that anything's possible. And if you want it in the blink of an eye, you could do anything, right? You could bring my husband. Um, <laughs> right? In a second, no matter what, no matter what it looks like then that creates a vessel for the miracle to happen. Okay, so with that being said, um, what I might do here now... It's on oh, it's on yours. Oh, and I was talking into mine before. That's, that's really annoying. Oh. <coughs> I'm going to stop this.